Good morning to all of you, and I greet you this morning in the precious name of Jesus. I'd like to say one thing this morning, and that is, worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive glory and honor, dominion and power, both now and ever. You know, as we look at the young men who have surrendered their hearts, their lives, their ambitions, their plans, and saying we are willing to be counted as a servant for Jesus Christ in even a greater way than up to this point. How could you ask young men to do that? To change maybe even life styles or dreams because of this event today? And there's, I believe, one answer for that. And it's not because, well, we want the church to grow. The answer is, worthy is the Lamb that was slain. And that's why we're here today, and that's why they're here today. Uh, we desire, like in Revelation, to raise up the name of Jesus, because He is truly worthy. I was interested in what Vance Havner had to say. He said, the gospel has been denied, the gospel has been defended, and the gospel has been declared. Paul embodied all these things. Paul denied the gospel when you when you read in the first part of Acts they laid their clothes at Paul's feet because they were killing Stephen and when the Lord came to him and said Saul Saul Paul's response was or Saul's response was Lord who art thou because he was living in denial of who Jesus was but then Paul had a different time in his life when he was a defending a defender of the gospel. <clears throat> he said, I am set for the defense of the gospel. That's an important aspect of the gospel. And another time he said, I declare unto you the gospel. So you're looking at some people deny the gospel, some people defend the gospel, some people declare the gospel. But there's one more. And that is that we demonstrate the gospel. Not just that we can defend it. Not just that we can declare it. But that we can demonstrate it. And I like the way Paul says it and how he demonstrated. He says, Christ liveth in me. That's how we demonstrate. It's not about, I am demonstrating now and you can, you can watch this. It'll never work that way. The only way it works is when Christ is truly dwelling in our hearts by faith. Then we can be a demonstrator, not just a defender or a declarer. We can be a demonstrator. And that's what we can rejoice in the power of the gospel this morning. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Lord, I thank you for each heart that is gathered here today. And our prayer is that the Lamb would receive glory dominion and power and majesty as we look and see the power beyond what we can even understand or comprehend and the glory that we can even not even get a glimpse of, it seems like, that you are truly worthy. And Lord, I pray that you would meet with us today. And Lord, our prayer as we lift up these three brethren to you is that you would be with them, that you would guide them, you would give them a peace beyond what we can even comprehend. And as we look into your word today that we could be inspired that we could sense your presence in a real way and that we could discern your will and you would have your will revealed to us today. We thank you for this opportunity and for this time we can worship together in Jesus' name. Amen. Just a few 
uh, announcements as far as the layout of the service. It is a unique service today with um, the ordination happening today. We're going to start with a few announcements for the local group, and then we'll lift the offering. The ushers could be prepared for that. Um, and then there will be Sunday school for the preschool through intermediate class, and we'll dismiss the teachers. Uh, we'll need to lead the way because they are in a new classroom this morning. So, um, teachers, if you can be prepared to lead the way for that, um, that will be dismissed right after the offering. Then Brother Ray Hoover will be bringing us the first message at that time, and then we'll look to two songs after Ray's message. And during those songs, if the children could come back in and find their place and then after the two songs, we'll proceed with the ordination and the drawing of the lot, and after which Brother Dennis Martin will be having the closing messages message, and then followed by the carry-in meal, and all are welcome to stay to enjoy the fellowship afterward. A few announcements for the local group. Um, first of all, the offering is for the general fund. Um, tonight, there's no Sunday evening service. And school devotions Monday morning is Tom Schrock. There he is. Thank you, Tom. And Wednesday evening, Lester Troyer, I believe, has one more time. Is that correct? Not sure where he's at. You have one more time, correct? So Lester Troyer is scheduled for Wednesday evening devotions. Anyone else have an announcement for us this morning? Birthdays are an important thing this week. I have a son having a birthday today. It's a big day today. Trevor, how old are you today? Seven. Seven years old. Katrina has a birthday tomorrow. She's turning 22. Well, she's in Greece. If you have time, give her a message and wish her a happy birthday and God's blessing on her. Jesse has a birthday Wednesday. How old will you be, Jesse? 32. All right. And Kate and Hershey has a birthday on Thursday, how old will you be, Caden? Eight years old. Happy birthday, Caden. And Jared has a birthday on Friday. How old will you be, Jared? So I have one more teenager in the home. Looking forward to that. And Gaylord and Rachel have an anniversary on Wednesday. How many years, Gaylord? Forty-three years. Lord bless you in years to come. All right, I'll ask the ushers to come forward this time for the offering. And we'll have prayer and then we can lift the offering. Thank you for that. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for the gifts that you have given to us. And Lord, we recognize again this morning we're only giving back what you first given to us. We thank you for the gift that you've given us, and I pray your blessing on the gift today. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, for the children going to Sunday school, um, teacher, if you could lead the way to the classroom, uh, the preschool will meet in the far upstairs classroom, or what would be called Miss Kristen's room. Um, preschool teacher, if you could lead the way there. In preschool, you can be dismissed. Following Carissa and Melissa. All 
All right, all in all done. And next is primary. They will be meeting in the basement classroom or Miss April's classroom. And you can follow Kayla to that. Uh, primary can be dismissed. And next will be the junior class meet in the upper classroom or Mr. Patrick's classroom. Uh, junior class can be dismissed. And the intermediate will meet in the basement rec room. Uh, intermediate class, you can be dismissed to the basement rec room. All right, thank you for that. And we'll look to Brother Ray at this time for our morning message. As for God, His way is perfect. I greet you in the name of Jesus, the one in whose name we gather and in whom we rest when we think of seeking God's will and waiting on His will. As for God, His way is perfect. And that is one thing that we can trust as we seek His will in these times of change and transition that uh, we trust His sovereignty. And I wish God's blessing on you as a congregation and on the three young couples in front of us. As you wait, you've carefully sought His will. You've come together in seeking His will. And now we wait for him to reveal his will. Jesus said, after Peter made that great confession, Jesus asked them, Whom do you say that I am? Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And then Jesus' words, Upon this rock I will build my church. And he continues to do that. This is a small piece of that continuing process of his body, building the church in his absence here in the world, physical absence. We rest in the fact that it is his church and he does the building. been asked to share a few thoughts on practical ways to support your deacon. And just by way of introduction, I'd like to read a passage from Romans 16, a unique scripture at the end of a, some say, Paul's theological masterpiece, He inserts this uh, unique passage after 11 chapters of deep theological truth. First 11 chapters, he comes with four chapters of practical ways that these truths are lived out in the church. And then chapter 16, he brings it down to a local level. The ordinary men and women, members of the church, and the way it was lived out Um, in that first century A.D. If Hebrews 11 is Old Testament examples of extraordinary faith, things that we look at and say, 
how could they do that? This is ordinary men and women like you sitting in the benches this morning who from some act of support and and um, kindness to the Apostle Paul, their names are recorded, preserved for all of time and eternity in the Word of God. And that is impressive to think of most of them we know nothing about them other than the fact they did some service that impacted the ministry of the Apostle Paul. Now we do Priscilla and Aquila, they're mentioned various times, most of them just once. Let's read and see what it says about these ordinary church members who were faithful where they were. I commend unto you Phoebe, our sister, which is a servant of the church, which is at Sancria, that you receive her in the Lord as become a saint, and that ye assist her in whatsoever business she hath need of you, for she hath been a succor of many, and of myself also. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my helpers in Christ Jesus, who have for my life laid down their own necks, unto whom not only I give thanks, but also all the churches of the Gentiles. Likewise, greet the church that is in their house. Salute my well-beloved Eponetus, who is the first fruits of Achaia unto Christ. Greet Mary, who bestowed much labor on us. Salute Andronicus and Junia, my kinsmen and my fellow prisoners, who are of note among the apostles, who also are in Christ before me. Greet Amplius, my beloved in the Lord. Salute Urban, our helper in Christ. And Stachius, my beloved, salute Apollos, approved in Christ. Salute them which are of Aristobulus' household. Salute Herodian, my kinsman. Greet them that be of the household of Narcissus, which are in the Lord. Salute Tryphena and Tryphosa, who labor in the Lord. Salute the beloved of Persis, which labored much in the Lord. Salute Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and his mother and mine. Salute Asyncritus, Phlegon, Hermas, Petrobas, Hermes and the brethren which are with them. Salute Philologus and Julia, Nurus and his sister and Olympus and all the saints which are with them. Salute one another with a holy kiss. The churches of Christ salute you. And then another list at the end, 21. Timotheus, my workfellow, and Lucius and Jason and Sosipater, my kinsmen, salute you. I, Tertius, who wrote this epistle, salute you in the Lord. Gaius, mine host, and of the whole church, saluteth you. Erastus, the chamberlain of the city, saluteth you. And Quartus, a brother, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Welcome to the those who were faithful in the ordinary, everyday work of the church and whose names are preserved here for us. At the, la- the last list there, Tertius and Quartus, some have suggested that these Tertius, the number three, Quartus, four, that possibly they were slaves who didn't have names, three and four. They were simply serving where the Lord had put them. You know, when I think of, of uh, support of the church and the work of the church, most of our life is spent in doing the routine, doing the mundane, the ordinary things of life. And it is faithfulness in those little things, the lifelong 
faithfulness in the ordinary things of life that in the end is a tremendous accomplishment. It doesn't take much to support your ministry, your new deacon. Jesus, when he sent the twelve out two by two, he said they were, they were to go first to the lost sheep of the house of Israel and preach the kingdom of God, do the work of the kingdom. He that receiveth you receiveth me. He that receiveth me receiveth him that sent me. He that receiveth a prophet in the name of a prophet shall receive a prophet's reward. And he that receiveth a righteous man in the name of a righteous man shall receive a righteous man's reward. And whosoever shall give to drink unto one of the least of these little ones a cup of cold water in my name, verily I say unto you, he shall in no wise lose his reward. Faithfulness in the little things and the everyday opportunities of life over a lifetime and compiled is a tremendous achievement and accomplishment. When I received this assignment on practical ways to support your deacon, my mind went down three paths. One, what does the New Testament say about supporting ministry? And there's quite a bit there. So we'd like to look at a few scriptures, examples of, of um, supporting our ministry. Secondly, I thought back of my own experience. What were the things that were meant a lot to me? And thirdly, I decided to tap into the wisdom of others, peers and ministering friends. What were the things that meant the most to you? And did a bit of an informal survey, asked them to complete the question. When it comes to support for you as a minister, the thing that was most meaningful to me was, and asked them to complete that sentence. And so I'd like to look at that as well. <clears throat> when you think of support for your ministry, it can be direct support. You do something for them. If you slip a $100 bill on a card in their mailbox, that's fairly direct support that um, that speaks. On the other hand, you could keep the $100 and say, you know what, our family needs to... It's been a while since we've done anything. And you take the family out for an evening or a weekend and you have a, an excellent time and you come back refreshed and encouraged and your family's happy, you're more content, and you're ready to pitch in and help the church, that's indirect support. Now, you may want to try to figure out which is the greater return on investment, but um, we'll leave that to each one to figure out. But just helpful to think that direct support, that's important, but sometimes the indirect just the, and maybe I'm getting ahead of my notes here, but for me, the indirect support has actually been the most to me. When I see people involved and active and in the work of the church, engaged, is that the word that we use nowadays? Engaged in the work, 
when I see the a sign-up sheet goes up for summer Bible school and every slot is filled. I see the pews full on Wednesday evening. I see special work and people pitching in. To me, that is just a tremendous level of support and for me has probably meant as much in that indirect way than, than um, the direct support. But both are important. Let's look at a few scriptures, and I'll be referencing a number of them. You won't need to look, uh, turn to them. But first of all, prayer. And prayer is another example of you can make it a direct support if you know that a brother has something extra on his plate going, and uh, you think about it, and you call him up and say, I'm praying for you. That's direct encouragement. On the other hand, there are probably a number of you here who have committed to praying for your ministers week after week, day after day, and maybe you've never specifically said, I'm praying for you. Maybe you have, but it's an ongoing, it's an indirect way of supporting. Just the commitment to prayer. The Apostle Paul, Ephesians 6.18, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. And for me, that utterance may be given unto me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. Pray for your ministers, your deacon, that they would have the boldness and the courage to preach the gospel, to preach the Lord Jesus Christ, to do the work that God has given them to do. And you know, prayer is one that it almost seems that you wouldn't have to mention that, but it is still perhaps the most important avenue we have of support. Jesus said, all power is given unto me in heaven and in earth, and we have that same power at our fingertips when we come to God in prayer in the name of the Lord Jesus. Pray that they would open their mouths boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ, saluteth you, always laboring fervently for you in prayers, that you may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. Epaphras is one who I would want sitting on the benches, one who I would want in the behind the scenes, laboring fervently that you may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. Pray that your ministers would handle the word of God wisely. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Pray that God would give them that wisdom to rightly divide the word of truth. Pray that, and as I say these, I'm speaking for the needs in my own life as I think of my own ministry, and this one more than I like to admit. Pray that they would willingly take up the call, take up the mantle. Feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof not by constraint but willingly not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind. Pray for your ministries. Ministers, you do 
have all of the power of heaven available as you do that. 1 Thessalonians 5.12, I'll have to turn to that one. And we beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you. So the second one is to learn to know your ministers. If you know someone, it will require a relationship with them. Probably more than just coming to church Sunday morning and Wednesday evening. Although, as I thought about it, I suspect that if you were faithful in attending all of the services and all of the extracurricular and you are there day after day and week after week and year after year for an extended period of time, it would be impossible not to learn to know your ministers, not to know your deacon. Learn to know them. Spend time with them. Spend enough time with them to know what their love language is can't believe that I said that really, but <laughs> but these things become buzz phrases and buzz words because they're true. Learn to know what what is encouraging to them. Learn to know if gifts are what speaks or notes of appreciation or help with cleaning out the garage. Ask them questions. How was your week? You've had a busy week. Can I clean the church for you? Learn to know them. Number three from the same passage, we beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake. Esteem them very highly in love. In other words, respect them. Learn to give them the respect that they are due. Not because they're above reproach. Not because we always merit respect. Not because we deserve it. But because of the position that God has placed your deacon and your ministers in. For the work's sake. It's because they have put, been put in a place of authority by God. You could call it a positional respect. Some people would say that in order to gain somebody's respect, you have to earn their respect. If I were speaking to a group of fathers, that would be my message to them. If you want your children to respect you, then... You need to figure out ways to earn that respect. If I were talking to a group of pastors and encouraging them, I would say it is our responsibility to learn how to earn the respect of our people. But to those who are under authority, it is by position and not by merit. Being respectable and worthy of respect is one of the qualifications for minister. And I'm sure you were encouraged in that as you looked out among you. A a bishop must be of good behavior. He must be respectable, worthy of respect. Likewise, the deacons must be grave, 
sober, long paid? No. They are respectable. Worthy of their lives generate respect. And so there are two sides of the coin, but in the passage here, and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake is a positional respect. Respect is something that I struggle with knowing how to say, how do you show respect? It's something that you always know when you have and you always know when you don't have it. But to say, to tell you how to go about showing respect is difficult for me to do. Um, In some ways it's easier to say the things that are disrespectful. But body language in both cases is huge. Nonverbal communication. Feedback shows respect, whether it's commendation or disagreement. I remember teaching a church class at MBS and talking about ministerial support. And I said, sometimes even negative feedback is is better than nothing. You know, be critical or ask questions. I didn't, not, I don't agree with you on that. Is better than, than that shows respect. And then um, one of the other instructors, one of my students in another class on a homework assignment, what can you do to support your minister? His answer was criticize him. They wondered, well, where did that come from? (laughs) All in the right context. Know them, esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake, and be at peace among yourselves. Be at peace among yourselves. The fourth way that you will unquestionably show your support by being at peace and taking care of situations and relationships as they come up. Number five, obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves for they watch for your souls as they that must give account that they may do it with joy and not with grief for that is unprofitable for you. Obey them that have obedience and respect are impossible to separate. But Paul tells us, God tells us through the Apostle Paul, Romans 13, let every soul be subject unto the higher powers, for there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God, whosoever therefore resisteth the power resisteth the ordinance of God, and they that resist shall receive to themselves damnation. It's hard to get around the seriousness of resisting the powers that be. Those, and this is the secular world, the state, and the da- he says, they that resist shall receive to themselves damnation. And I wonder what rebellious attitudes toward those who are over you and the Lord that it could be any different. The church is a voluntary commitment. I commit myself to the body, 
to the brotherhood, to their doctrine and their practice. And at such time when I can no longer with clear conscience do that, it is critical that before we fall into the sin of disrespect and choosing our own way, that we find a place where we can support. And that's speaking bluntly, but I I do believe that it is God's plan for us that while we are committed, we are there, and to be respectful even at at such a time when we disagree and need to part ways. Number six, Galatians 6, 6. Let him that is taught in the word communicate unto him that teacheth in all good things. Let him that is taught in the word, those who receive the blessings of ministry, who are served, communicate, not just verbally communicate, but to give all good things. Part of communicating all good things is a scheduled way of financial support for your ministry, however it's done, monthly, quarterly, yearly. We're not in it for the money, but that it is, it is part of the responsibility and the support that, that um, we give to our ministers. Sometimes the random acts of speak more loudly than the scheduled. It doesn't need to be money helping with projects helping with special work. Communicate. Let him that is taught in the word communicate unto him that teacheth in all good things. Number seven is kind of a general, broad category. But the idea of continuing on, of growing in grace, going on to perfection... It's heartwarming to see and encouraging to see individuals growing in Christ. And you may not even see a big difference day after day, but year after year and for a lifetime, just to see that steadfastness. And even in today's culture and in the church culture, just maintaining my walk with the Lord is a huge achievement. Grow in grace. Go on to perfection. Number eight, another one that I don't need to say, you know it, but the scripture says it. Remember that they are vessels of clay. We have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power might be of God and not of us. And I don't understand why God chose to entrust the care of his body to men, vessels of clay that face the same temptations. We all are in this together. So that he says that he specifically entrusts the treasures of the kingdom in these vessels of clay so that the excellency of the power might be of God and not of us. Number nine and the last one. As iron sharpeneth iron, so a man sharpeneth the countenance of his friend. Another general way of supporting your ministry. As iron sharpeneth 
iron. As you simply rub shoulders from day to day and week to week, in the word of God, there's the word has that effect of two that are committed to Christ, committed to the word, the sword of the spirit, the sword, and as those rub shoulders and come in contact, there is that sharpening of the countenance. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that called us. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as a manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Just the encouragement that we get as we meet from time to time. Um, recently I had an experience. A brother called me in midweek and he said, I just came across this poem that I inspired me so much. He said, I, I had to call somebody. I, and he called me up and, can I read it to you over the phone? And started reading it. And I said, well, what, why don't you fax it to me? And he faxed me the poem. And it was a good, I enjoyed the poem. It was inspirational. But to me, the biggest sharpening and the greatest encouragement I got was from this brother who was studying and came across something so excited that he had to call me up and, and uh, share the news with me. That is iron sharpening iron. I already said my the thing that has been most meaningful to me is the indirect when I see people see people putting their shoulders to the wheel and engaged in the work of the church. I'd like to close with um, and actually I shouldn't say I'd like to close because there is one more thing after this and I don't like to say I'm going to close and then keep going but this and then I'll close <clears throat> when it comes to support from the congregation the one thing that has been most meaningful to me is and this is how other ministers completed that sentence the most meaningful th- to me the most meaningful thing to me is an attitude of appreciation and attentiveness from the congregation when I'm preaching or leading out The most meaningful thing to me is knowing I have their support in prayers. The most meaningful thing to me is I am praying for you. The most meaningful thing to me is, and this brother couldn't narrow it down to one thing, but he said, support shows itself in varying ways from varying individuals, but I appreciate them all. Some are great at keeping you going while you're preaching. You can tell they're with you and supporting you as you speak. Sometimes I find an anonymous gift or a card. Sometimes a simple word of encouragement. I just like to feel support. People show that in varying ways, but I can fairly easily tell when I have someone's support and when I don't. The one thing that is most meaningful to me is the friendship expressed through an invite to someone's house to participate in a table game or just an evening chat. 
That level of friendship provides an opportunity to connect and strengthen our relationship. As much as possible, I believe we should develop a friendship with our constituents. The most meaningful thing to me is from children who have written me notes and cards that give evidence that they have caught truths from the message. Most meaningful thing to me is when someone demonstrates the ability at a mem- uh, to discuss controversial things at a members meeting without the environment becoming emotionally charged. The thing that has meant most to me is words of encouragement. The thing that has meant most to me is eagerness to hear God's word, even though it frequently goes over time. Most meaningful thing to me is voluntary acts of helpfulness to accomplish home improvement, home maintenance projects that I could not find to do the time to do. I would say the most meaningful thing to me is the prayers of the brotherhood and that they would send a text letting me know they are praying. What means the most to me is our congregation's attentiveness during sermons, the note-taking, including the young folks, and then interaction afterwards that shows they are listening. Verbal appreciation for the way I have let out. When the congregation cheerfully accepts scriptural principles and the congregation's applications. The thing that is most meaningful to me, when the audience is awake and attentive while preaching and responds at times with notes of encouragement, especially children and adolescents. The thing that has been most meaningful to me, to hear a brother pray for our leaders and then specifically pray for each one by name. I think that probably gives you the entire scope of, of uh, things that are meaningful to your leaders. And now, in conclusion, as we approach the time when the Lord will reveal his will, I have to think about the fact that if every one of you as members here at Northwoods would have written the script of how this weekend would would turn out, there probably are not that many of you sitting here that would have written the script as the way it will will end. But when it comes to accepting God's will, I think of the example of the Lord Jesus. And I, the end, we want unanimous conclusion, right? We want everybody be, to be together in the same place. And the way that happens is by each member submitting his will to the will of God. The Lord Jesus, let the cup pass. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what thou wilt. For one of you sitting here, submitting will mean submission to the call. For two of you, it meant submitting to the willingness to accept the call and then the willingness to give the call to someone else. And for all of you, it will mean submission 
to the will of God. And then we can go away with 100% and unanimous support in the will of God. As I said in my opening comments, as for God, his way is perfect. And that is one thing that we can rest in and be at peace in. However God reveals his will, we can rest and we can always trust the sovereignty of God. After all, it is him that sets the members in order, gives to each one grace. It's helpful, too, to remember that our value is not measured in our work and the service we do, but it is in our willingness to identify with the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's our willingness to take up the cross for the glory of his name that is the ultimate measure of success. We are God's creation, and we are God's recreation and redemption. And that will be our song in eternity. Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. Shall we pause for prayer? Eternal Father in heaven, we come to you at this hour as we approach the time when you will reveal your perfect will. Father, we seek your presence. We seek the anointing of your Holy Spirit as we approach this process, and we pray that we would all be submissive to your perfect will. Bless the three brothers that are in front of us who will be sharing the lot. I pray that you would give them your peace. Pray for Brother Todd as he leads out. And I pray for the congregation that this can be a time of, of um, a time of going forward with confidence in your work and in uh, the work of the kingdom here in the Northwoods community. Father, we commit each one to you. We commit the remainder of this service and pray that you would accomplish your will here. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you.
what a beautiful song, what a beautiful prayer to close that part. Thank you, Austin, for leading that. Be still, my soul, the Lord is on thy side. <clears throat> Appreciated the message so far. Thank you, Brother Ray, for sharing. Uh, you don't have to come away from that saying, but what's practical for today? Um, we came through the doctrinal part of that and what is practical. Thank you for sharing that. Acts chapter 6, the church was facing an issue and they needed more laborers and I'm going to read those verses briefly here and in those days when the number of the disciples was multiplied there arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. Then the twelve called the multitude of the disciples unto them and said, It is not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. And we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And the saying pleased the whole multitude. We know from that, whereas deacons elected, to serve in the church. And we know that they looked after ministration to the poor, to the, to the widows, to the needy. And we also know that they were um, at times called upon to preach the gospel and to minister very effectively. Um, and we see that in the book of Acts, in the life of Stephen, in the life of Philip, and in many of the others. And today we look at this as choosing out from among us as a brotherhood Men who are called. And you know, each of these men are gifted by God in very unique aspects of life. Each of them share different aspects of gifts. Um, and each of them share different challenges that they're facing. Challenges to overcome. Um, these men are all unique. I'm excited about what God can do in the life of the church through the gifts that He has um, chosen to lead out in the future. Because the voice was not clear in the book of Acts 1, they were looking to choose the apostle, an apostle to f- take the place of Judas who fell. It says, and they prayed, sorry, and they appointed two when they was trying to come together to take the voice. They appointed two, Joseph called Barsabas, who was surnamed Justice, and Matthias. And they prayed and said, Thou, Lord, which knowest the hearts of all men, Show whether these two thou hast chosen, that he may take part of this ministry and apostleship for whom Judas by transgression fell, that he might go to his own place. And they gave forth their lots, and the lot fell upon Matthias, and he was numbered with the eleven apostles. We desire here today to follow the New Testament in Acts of how we look out from among us, men filled with the Holy Spirit, men who have the gifts that God has given them, and who are living an overcoming life. And we also recognize the fact that we need to draw lots to see what is the Lord's leading in this situation as they did in Acts 1. We want to move to that aspect of the service at this time. Um, the ministers who I call upon to proceed with a lot do not know that I'm about to call on them, but I would ask them to come and assist if they're able. Um, We have three books of the Christian hymnal and we desire to put the lot in one of these books at page between song number 49 and 50. 
And the song that I'm looking at that it is by is What Have I to Fear? What Have I to Dread? Leaning on the Everlasting Arms. I believe that's where these young couples are facing in their commitment, in their surrender to this journey. They realize, you know, there's a lot of things that we could worry about. But when we lean on those arms, it's going to carry us through. Uh, Glenn Kilmer, would you please come and go into the room over here and insert the lot in one of these three books and then come back? Yes, thank you. Thank you, Glenn. Brother Dan Schrock, could you shuffle the books, please, in prayer? And as a congregation, I guess we need to be as well, recognizing the value of prayer at this time. Just shuffle the books and let them remain at the table. Brother Ray Hoover, would you prayerfully get the books and bring them to the table? At this point, there's no human being who knows where that lot is cast. We look to Scripture who says in Proverbs 16.33, The lot is cast into the lap. But the whole disposing thereof is of the Lord. Let's bow our heads for prayer. And after prayer, brethren, you can choose a book.
Father, Your ways are so much higher than our ways. Your thoughts are so much higher than our thoughts. Lord, I thank You that we can come to You at times like this, crying out to You and saying, Lord, we desire to discern Your will for the beauty of the kingdom of Christ that it could grow, for the glory of the church. And Lord, our cry again is worthy as the Lamb. As we come and desire Your will, I pray, Lord, that You would reveal to these brethren Your will and to Your church Your will in going forward. In Jesus' precious name, Amen. The lot is cast into the lap, but the whole disposing thereof is of the Lord. Hereby God has called you to the office of deacon, Brother Dave, Sister Aurelia, of the Northwoods Mennonite Church. I ask you to kneel at this time. Oh, sorry, I ask you to stand at this time for a commitment. <clears throat> My dear brother, it's pleased God to call you to the office of deacon. Are you willing to accept this service and by the grace of God and the aid of His Holy Spirit to give yourself to the work which this office demands of you as a faithful labor in the Church of Christ? I am. Do you promise herewith to give heed to all the doctrines of the Word of God, to accept them as a rule and guide of your life, to maintain and teach them together with the biblical teachings and standards of worship of the Northwoods Mennonite Church, as far as the duties of office of deacon shall require, and faithfully to abide in the same until the end. Thank you. Are you willing to assist in conducting the church or congregation in which you are called to labor in accordance with the instructions and teaching of the gospel and the counsels of the Church of Christ, subjecting yourself to other faithful leaders with whom you labor, and in all things to show yourself approved unto God a workman that needeth not to be ashamed? Ask you in the really to kneel. <clears throat> Upon this confession and these promises that you've made before God and these witnesses, I hereby, in the name of Jesus Christ and His Church, ordain you to the office of deacon to which you have been called. It will be your duty to receive and care for the charities of the church, to distribute them to the members who are needy according to their needs, to visit the sick, the widows, and the orphans, and comfort them, praying with them in their afflictions, to assist the bishop in the administration of baptism and communion, to bear testimony to the truth in his public ministrations. And when the need arises or when you are called upon, it shall be your duty to preach the word of God. When strife or difficulties arise between brethren, it will be your duty to work together with the rest of the ministry to bring about reconciliation, restore unity and peace. Be faithful to the Lord, and he will grant you wisdom and understanding from on high. He will give you grace to do his work, 
He will bless you in all your duties. The grace of God be with you. Amen. Ask the brethren to come forward for prayer, Brother Dennis and Ray and Claire and Eric. And at this, um, why don't we all kneel for prayer and Dennis, uh, sorry, Dave and Aurelia, if you want to kneel forward a little farther. And if their children could come up, um, we would like all the children who are in the lot to come up and we would like to have special prayer for each of the families. Brother Ray, if you would like to pray for especially Dave and his responsibility and Dennis for Aurelia. And Brother Claire, if you'd like to pray for those that were in the lot. And um, maybe we'll lay hands on each of those as as we pray for their families. And Brother Eric, for the children. Let's pray. Brother Ray. Eternal Father in heaven, we are. this call. And I pray that you would bless him in it. I pray that you would give
service on this ordination part of it. Lord, I pray for your hand on each of these families. Lord, I thank you for the willingness of these servants. And I just pray your anointing on these families. May they sense your presence in a close and special way in the days and weeks to come. And I pray especially for your anointing on Brother Dave and Sister Aurelia, Amber and Logan. I just pray that they would sense your power leading them, guiding them and directing them and upholding them through the times of change, of emotions. And I just pray, Lord, that your direction would be upon them. They would sense your peace overwhelming them. For Elvis and Ben's as well, that they would sense your peace in their homes, in their hearts. And thank you for these brethren who are willing to accept and to be of service in your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. We'll look to Brother Dennis for a closing message. Greet you in Jesus' name this morning. It's a blessing to be here. The title of the message this morning is The Reward of Faithfulness. Turn with, your Bi- Turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Timothy 3.15. The question that we could ask this morning is, where do we go from here? Good question. I'd like to look at that a little bit this morning and the rewards of faithfulness. First Timothy three fifteen says, But if I tarry long that thou mightest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. This is extremely elementary, but the truth remains that how we behave ourselves has a lot to do with how we, where we go from here. In all facets of church life, whether it's Brother Dave and Sister Aurelia, or whether it's a congregation, a church member, So we have the issue of everyone's behavior and the simple fact that this is not just a behavioral issue. It has to do with the church of the living God, which is the pillar and ground of the truth. And so the the governing factor, the foundational issues we're talking about here is that we're not we're not in a bingo situation. 
deal here this morning. This is the church of the living God, the pillar and the ground of the truth. And so, how we view the church of the living God, which is the pillar and ground of the truth, how we view that will determine largely our behavior, how we respond to that. If we think the church is some foreign entity of some sort, um, and uh, somehow or the other, it's everyone else, you know. So, so the problem with the church is, and da 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 da. da well, wait a minute. If you're part of the church, then you're naming your own problem, right? And so, if if we view God's church as a pillar in the ground of the truth, it certainly will govern our behavior. And I don't know about you, but my parents at least made some kind of an attempt to refine my behavior. Um... <clears throat> Why? Because they knew that if I'm going to experience success in life to any degree, that they're going to have to somehow or the other get work some of this stuff out of Denny. All right. I recall one time we went we went to the cabin, and somehow or the other, um, the, the pump handle got broke. All right. <clears throat> and so. Uh, Okay, who broke the pump handle? Well, you know, the siblings are more than happy to say that Denny broke the pump handle. Yeah, that's pretty gleeful news. Uh, the only way that that would not be given is if, if the sibling did something worse. And, you know, it's like you telling me, I'll tell on you, and that's the only thing that kind of governed that. But somehow or the other, I always ended up with a, with a vacuum there and somehow. So, so who, who broke the pump handle? And so... Uh, my dad says, so who broke the pump handle? And I said, I broke the pump handle. And he says, so what would you do? And I said, well, I just looked at it. <laughs> Somehow he didn't buy that. You know, I, I guess he didn't think I was quite that ugly. <laughs> I guess look at the pump handle and break it. But, you know, we... we we, we try to disassociate sometimes our behavior with our responsibility, accountability, and, and you know somehow it just happened and it had nothing to do with me and and that that type of thing. But get right down to it: bad behavior produces bad results, and broken pump handles and all kinds of um, disruptive and irritating things. And so <clears throat> it seems like. I think probably my dad's most frequent statement was, Denny, cut it out. Denny, cut it out. Just cut out that bad behavior. Cut out that bad behavior. You know, we're we're expecting something more than that. So, but but good behavior. How we should behave in 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 the house of God. Good behavior sets us all on a path of good interpersonal relationships and the ability to make progress to go forward. That's what we want. We want the church to go forward. That's part of what's happening here this morning. We have a deacon that's getting old. And 
you know, and we all are. Okay, so but so we we've got to keep making progress, and and so um, and, and the church that that's critical. The church needs to go forward. We need to press on. We need to uh, the 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 program needs to pro- proceed. And, and so our behavior in in the in the church is is critical. If, if that's going to happen, um, because it's not just it's not just whether this congregation succeeds, you know, uh, spiritually, uh, like a, a separate entity apart from the whole world. Whether it works or whether it don't has eternal ramifications. This is not a small ticket item here, and, and so. And it determines the amount of reward that everyone gets, including Dave and Aurelia and their new responsibility. It's frustrating when a congregation misbehaves. It's frustrating when a church leader misbehaves. We all know that. That's not brilliant uh, information, just common common knowledge, and so. But when everybody is behaving like Christ, everyone everyone is putting their shoulder to the wheel. Everyone is doing their best, absolute best for Jesus Christ. It is it is incredibly rewarding for everyone involved. But our attitude will determine our behavior. So I ask you this morning, what is your personal attitude toward the church? Think about it. What's your vision for the church? Do you see it as a church of the living God? Do you see it as the entity that props up the truth? I asked you this morning how much truth is propped up if the church is in chaos. But then how great the truth is propped up when, when it's held up in unity and congregational purity and, and all those things. It, it is a tremendous impact to the church. I ask you this morning, if somebody is looking for a way to God and the church don't provide it, what other option do they have? Nothing. None. That's sobering. If they don't see it here, they're not going to see it anywhere. It is the only option. So our behavior needs to prop up the truth. And we need to 
live out that truth in very practical, everyday applications. And it's particularly critical for leadership in the church. So, the question this morning is, what precisely does this behavior that Paul's referring to look like in the church, and more specifically, what does it look like in leadership? Turn with me in your, in your Bible, so 1 Peter 5, 1 to 4. This is specifically addressing elders. We're going to look at the what behavior does God expect? And this applies to all of us, right? If we're using God's pattern to pull leadership out of the laity, you can't put a gap there. It don't work. The elders which are among you I exhort, who am also an elder, and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. Feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, not willingly, not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind, neither as being lords over God's heritage, but being in samples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd shall appear, ye shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. We're going to just kind of tear this passage of Scripture apart here and kind of look at different facets of it. But one thing, for, one thing is very obvious in reading this passage of Scripture, that there is a reward for doing certain things. Our rewards are directly connected with our fulfillment of our responsibilities to God. So if I'm going to experience the glory which shall be revealed, then I'm going to have to do something in my life that God would feel good about giving a reward. I don't care who you are. The Bible says, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Okay, so there's, there's a reward because there was something happening previous to that point where God made a decision how this is all going to end. Our rewards are based upon a mindset. Everybody works with a mindset. Everybody works with some point of reference in which they are functioning in their life. A way of thinking about life in general and specifically in different areas of life. So I'd like to just kind of break this down and look at a few things that have to do with the mindset of particularly a leader. And it, and it does 
applies certainly to all of us. The reward of caring and protecting others. It says feed, take oversight. There's something about just reaching out, something about caring. Just being concerned. And I don't know how to explain all that, but you recognize it when you see it, and I recognize it when I see it. You know whether somebody cares. You know whether somebody's concerned about you as an individual and about whether you are growing spiritually, etc. You know that. Somehow or the other, it's crystal clear. I don't often read from a book, but I'm going to read a little excerpt here this morning from Spirit Fruit by John Drescher. George Pruitt, and I'll just I'll uh, quote him. True greatness consists in the use of all, of all the talents one has in unselfish ministry to others. In seeking to find happiness, search for the one who has scars on his hands, feet, and heart. We do not find happiness in the life of one with smooth, smooth hands, uncalloused feet, and a heart that has no pain. It is the one who suffers with others and moves among men to help and to share the best one possesses who knows true happiness. These are the radiant few, and you will know them by their faces. They spend their time making themselves not free and independent, but sympathetic and indispensable. Even the world knows to what doors it must build its roads. Happiness is the inevitable result of a certain kind of life. If you don't believe it, someday take time to see how frustrated people spend their time. You will find them their lives filled with desires for beaches, banquets, and belongings. Then search out the radiant few, and you will find them sitting by sick beds, ministering to them of God's goodness. They will be carrying food to the hungry. You will find them around a family altar, beseeching God on behalf of others. You will find them behind pulpits and teachers' lecterns giving themselves so that others might have. In fact, you will find them in near, nearly every kind of occupation and place on the globe. But there will always be one thing true. They will not be searching for happiness. They will be sharing happiness. They will not be asking to be served, but they will be asking to serve. So it isn't primarily... A question of what you get out of life. It's not the dividend complex you need. It's rather the kind of investment you are making. The, the dividends have a way of taking care of themselves. Dorcas with her needle will be immortal when Napoleon is forgotten. Mary with her alabaster box will live on and on when Alexander's name shall be buried in oblivion. The cup of cold water lifted to the lips of the thirsty child will count for eternity while the great act done for self dies in the doing. The second reward, the reward of volunteering without coercion. 
do I volunteer without coercion? Not by, by constraint, but a ready mind, it says. Not constraint, but willingly. Now, we may look at Dave and say, I, um, you should serve without coercion. But it goes way broader than that. Aurelia, you will probably be asked to volunteer your husband, and I pray that you would do it without coercion. I don't normally brag on my wife in the pulpit. It is extremely humbling to me. And she won't like the credit, and she probably, I'll hear this when I get in the car a little bit, probably, but not once, not once in 38 years has she begrudged the fact that I had to take time to make a message. Not one single time. You ladies, you have honey-do lists. My wife has honey-do lists. Tremendous blessing. Tremendous blessing. There's tremendous blessing in being a signer-upper. We need to cherish, we need to cherish the opportunity to minister to the needs of others. Is it easy? No. All right, where's my paper? And here somewhere, here it is. Posted in front of... <clears throat> the matron's desk at Maranatha Bible School. Extremely profound. Ministry is giving when you feel like keeping. Praying for others when you need to be prayed for. Feeding others when your own soul is hungry. Living truth before people even when you can't see results. Hurting with others when your own hurt can't be spoken. Keeping your word when it's not convenient. It is being faithful when your flesh wants to run away. That's ministry. But what a blessing for the opportunity to serve others. Third, not for filthy lucre. The reward of rejecting financial priorities. Personal uh, testimony here. I don't know if this 
how God works with other people. I'm unique in myself, and so he has to kind of bowl me over sometimes, I guess. But I can tell you where I was standing. Five four eight one eight Rapids Road, in a little nine hundred sixty square foot bungalow, smack dab in the middle of the living room. When God told me, you you, you probably have watershed issues in your life. All right, things that come clear. Some things are fuzzy. Sometimes they come clear, clear as crystal. Dennis, you will never be able to pursue your aspirations financially that you have right now and do justice to ministry you can't do it you'll never do justice to either one you will fail in both make up your mind you talk about a watershed moment God, I choose the ministry. You know, so uh, that Jesus taught that, and that's so obvious. But somehow it took that ordination thing just to tip me over the edge. Jesus said, you can't serve God and mammon, you know, but, you know, you think you still maybe can God says, no, no. The reward, next, of a positive, godly mindset of enthusiasm. It says to be of a ready mind. Remember, the church is the only earthly organization that will stand and survive in the end. Every single other organization will be disbanded and burned. Every single one, bar none. We, as the church of Jesus Christ, are the only ones that we're going to win. Only ones. We don't say that proudly. We say that humbly. We say that with... With unworthiness, but it's true. Leadership will have its emotional challenges. Dave, I'll tell you, I'll just be honest with you. They do. Sometimes things are difficult. Life doesn't always dish out to you what you wish it would. Probably about five weeks ago, I was diagnosed with leukemia. I was challenged by John Piper. Ten ways not to waste your cancer. Now, I'm going to read this today, but whatever your challenge is, just replace the word cancer with whatever that is. So so maybe financial difficulties or 
Well, whatever it is, you, everyone's unique in ourselves. We, we, we face our own personal crises. And, and I, I, would, I, I would challenge you, Dave, don't waste your crises. I like people who think outside the box. You will waste your cancer if you do not believe God designed it for you. You will waste your cancer if you believe it is a curse and not a gift. You will waste your cancer if you seek comfort from your odds rather than, than from God. You will waste your cancer if you refuse to think about death. You will waste your cancer if you think beating cancer means staying alive rather than cherishing Christ. You will waste your cancer if you spend too much time reading about cancer and not enough time reading about God. You will waste your cancer if you let it drive you into solitude instead of deepening your relationship with manifest affection. You will waste your cancer if you grieve as those who have no hope. You will waste your cancer if you treat sin as casually as before. You will waste your cancer if you fail to use it as a means of witness to the truth and glory of God. I'm sorry, folks. I stand up here and commit and, and confess to you I have wasted so much in my life. God has brought stuff into my life and I just plain wasted it. Just simply hoping to go away. Learning nothing. So the challenges you face, Dave and Aurelia, don't waste them. Use them. <clears throat> Be positive. Life is always worth living. The next reward is the reward of rejecting cultural definitions of success. And the Bible calls that lording it. Being called to ministry is not the definition of success. It is the definition of servanthood. Now, we as Mennonites, we as <coughs> Mennonites and Amish are somewhat even known, at least nationally, uh, worldwide as servants. We are known as people of the Tao. So we, <coughs> yeah, we're people of the Tao and... Looks pretty good with a black plain suit, doesn't it? People with a towel. And we like that label. We like that look. 
As I stand here, there's two problems. Two very serious problems. One is that the towel is unused. It's still new. There's no stains on it. The second is the position is wrong. Towel worn out? Does it have holes in it? Is it showing signs of wear? Yeah, maybe you felt like your towel got shot through. Your efforts to servanthood got wasted. But that don't matter. The possession, the use of the towel, right here. David wrote it. Right here. Shame on us if it's all folded up real nice and it's still up here. Woo. Yeah, you get lint all over you too, I guess. <clears throat> I have this little paper smack in front of my desk and it's worded for me and I will change it for you but it says being a bishop does not confer privilege nor give power it imposes responsibility you take the privilege and the power out of our cultural definition of sin. And I'll tell you what, there's not much left. Being called to deacon does not confer privilege nor give power. It imposes responsibility. The humility to kneel and serve and serve and serve and serve. Well done, thou good and faithful president of some country. No. Thou good and faithful what? Servant on your knees with the towel. The last one, the reward of integrity. And samples to the flock, it says. Someone has said, a life lived with integrity, even if it lacks the trappings of fame and fortunes, is a shining star in whose light others may follow in years to come. 
We call Hebrews 11 the hall of faith. But could it be called the hall of integrity? Now these people made, if you read Hebrews 11, these people made mistakes. They weren't perfect. They made mistakes just like you and I did. But I also have this sign in front of my desk that said, we need to fail forward. The temptation for a leader is when they fail, they can fail backwards. Well, I'll never try that again. But brothers and sisters, whether you're a leader or whether you're a Christian, I don't care. You're going to fail. It is going to happen. That is the way life is. It's hard, cold facts of life. When you fail, let's fail forward. Learn from it. Your deacon's not going to be perfect to prove that because the one before wasn't either. Right? Amen. None of us are. So you're not looking for perfection. You're looking for a person who's, who's willing to serve God and if they fail, they fail forward. And they say, I'm sorry, I tried the best I could, but it was wrong. And, and I ask you forgiveness. Whatever. Integrity. That's what we're looking for. People of integrity admit their mistakes and they humbly move ahead. You know why it's important for integrity? Because trust comes from integrity. Trust is built on integrity. And integrity is built on our relationship with Jesus Christ. So I challenge Dave and Aurelia. I challenge all of us this morning. Integrity. Grow in Christ. And an unswerving commitment to the Word of God. That ultimate reward. Welcome, faithful servant. That's what we're all after. Welcome, faithful servant. Remember, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. You and I only have one shot at it. By the grace and power of God, let's do our best that the church may go forward proclaiming the name of Christ to a lost and dying world. God bless you.
That was truly a blessing to be here this morning. And thank you for sharing the message, Brother Dennis. What a powerful testimony. Don't waste your cancer. It's one thing for me to say that. It's another thing for someone who's been diagnosed with leukemia a few weeks to say that. How many things have we wasted that the Lord wants to use to help us take another step? I just want to say this, Ben and Debbie and Elvie and Liz, I deeply appreciate you as part of the congregation. <clears throat> Sorry. And it was a privilege to work with you through interviews and up to this point. <clears throat> and Brother Dave and Sister Aurelia, I deeply appreciate the opportunity to work with you in the future and look forward to that. <clears throat> You know, at the close of the service, I would encourage you, if you can, to come and give direct support. We heard of indirect and we heard of direct. Um, let's be people of indirect. Let's be throwing ourselves to the wheel and forwarding the cause of Christ here in the community. But I think this afternoon calls for us to give direct support to those who were chosen, uh, David and Aurelia, and also to those who were willing to be called um, I still believe the most uh, valuable servant in the kingdom is not the one with the most money or the most influence, but the one who's most willing to be used in that kingdom. So if you're able to, um, the close of the service, when we will close with prayer, and then if you're able to, to come and give your blessing upon them and ask you for, as well for the carrying, is going to be back in the kitchen, serve if everyone comes up this way and then exits out the side aisle. If I can get in this right, Tim, this way, over out the side aisle. And then you can go directly into the, the food that's prepared. Or if you're not here to enjoy the carrion, um, you can exit off to the side before the food line. So if everyone could come up this way to just kind of streamline things and then through this way and back the side aisle. Thank you for coming, each of you. Thank you for giving your support and in prayer and in your presence for these individuals. And we look to the Lord Jesus Christ for his continued leading. If you're able to stand, would you stand for closing prayer and also a prayer on the meal? Father in heaven, we come to the close of this service and the weight that was heavy upon us. We continue to give that to you. And Lord, as Dave and Aurelia possibly feel the new weight, I just pray, Lord, that you would remind them that your yoke is easy and your burden is light. And that by your strength and by your enablement, you will walk through them through this time and you will build them up and build your kingdom up through them. I thank you, Lord, for this opportunity we have as a congregation to work through events like this. And I pray, Lord, that none of us would be wasteful of the things that you bring into our lives. I thank you, Lord, for the brethren who shared this morning. And thank you for your word of truth. I thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's him we worship and him we praise this morning. And also, Lord, we thank you for the physical blessings, for the food. And I just pray your blessing upon it. May it enrich our physical bodies that we could be of service and bring honor to the name of Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. You are dismissed.